Hey folks, it's Greg Allman with the Tampa Bay Times and TampaBay.com here on the Cannon Fodder Podcast, our rare Monday preview podcast. Uh, Bucks and Falcons go tonight on Monday Night Football. It is December 18th. And lots to get to, not only with the game, but with the Ring of Honor as well. Bucks will uh, have John Gruden going into the ring as the 11th member tonight. Uh, Malcolm Glazer went earlier this year. And lots of cool debates to come from that too. Um, I want to get to the game first. Uh, and just go through a couple storylines. You know, I think the main one that people are talking about going into this, given that it's only been three weeks since the last time they played, uh, is how the Bucks defense can change things and handle Julio Jones much better than they did in Atlanta when he went off for 12 catches for 253 yards and two touchdowns. It's funny because it has largely been a down year for Julio Jones. If you look at the other 12 games that he's played in this year, has only one touchdown in all of those 12 games combined, and it has two against the Bucs. So you don't know which Julio is going to show up tonight, whether it's the one that just destroyed the Bucs and couldn't be stopped, or the one that has struggled to get in the end zone against most everybody else. Um, you know, Mike Smith and Dirk Cutter made a point to, to make it clear, after the first game, they had tried 14 different defensive looks against the Falcons, and obviously none of them worked particularly well in that first game. Not an amazing game, for Matt Ryan. Uh, but again, it, it's going to start tonight with, uh, at least in terms of the TV broadcast, and I think how fans approach the game, how the Bucks handle Julio Jones and what success do they have doing that. It doesn't have to be shutting him down. I mean, it, it, we, we talked about how uh, immediately after he goes for 253 against the Bucks, the Vikings, who obviously have a much better defense than the Bucks do, held Julio Jones to two catches for 24 yards. So literally one-tenth of the impact that he had with the Bucks a week earlier. Um, and the other thing the Vikings did really well is stop the Falcons on third down. Atlanta went one for 10 on third down against Minnesota. Uh, I think they lost 12-9, 14-9, I forget what it was, but only managed nine points in the game. So one of the matchups we talked about, we do the things to watch every week. And one of the ones that I pointed to is just being absolutely telling is that this game has the NFL's number one third down offense with Atlanta. I think they're at like 46.4% conversions. And obviously also has the NFL's worst third down defense. Uh, Bucks are at 48.3% right now. Worst in the NFL. Worst in Bucks history. Um, and the last time they played, Matt Ryan and the Falcons went 11 for 14 on third down. Just a ridiculous. You can't go 11 for 14 against air on third down. But uh, another area where just things have to get remarkably better if this is to be any kind of ball game at all. And what's tricky is that the Bucks defense is now doing that tonight without Gerald McCoy or Levante David, uh, which is two significant injuries. They're, they're missing Vernon Hargraves, too. I don't know if that's quite as, as big a deal. It hurts your depth, I think, but nothing huge. Uh, linebacker, I, I think, can kind of be lessened a little bit by the fact that Adarius Glanton has stepped up and played really well when he's had the challenge of stepping in for either Quan Alexander or Levante David this year. Um, had 20 tackles in a span of three games earlier this year, but has barely played on defense since those two have been healthy. So he gets thrown back in. Um, he has had all week to prepare for being a regular linebacker in this game. Uh, Dirk Cutter has made a point to say it, it could be Kendall Beckwith, it could be Devontae Bond. In practice, it was Darius Glanton. The last time they were hurt, it was Darius Glanton. So, if it weren't a Darius Glanton, the, the Bucks are now going to have to thrust somebody else into that Kendall Beckwith role where you're a, a strong side linebacker and also kind of a part-time defensive end 
and that puts even more people out of position. So again, the, the smart thing is to take Adarius Glanton off the bench and move him into an every down role next to Quan Alexander in the middle of this defense trying to solve this Falcons offense. Um, be interesting to see how they handle not having Gerald McCoy. Uh, kind of had to do it on the fly last week because he went out, I don't know, 12 plays into the game, whatever it was. Um, and the Bucks don't know if they're going to have Clinton McDonald. I'm sure they might know, but we don't know if the Bucks are going to have Clinton McDonald, which even more impacts their defensive line depth. Because McDonald's probably the guy that's best equipped to take on 50 snaps if you want to have a traditional defensive tackle taken over for McCoy. Uh, Chris Baker obviously is the best of what's left, but he's also kind of lying up next to McCoy. I mean, all they have right now is McDonald, Baker, and Salinga. So it could be somebody like Robert Ayers stepping in and, and kind of subbing in as a three-tackle, even though he's usually a defensive end. Um, that that makes, makes them even thinner at defensive end. So as Dirk would say, you're, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul at this point. But they got to find a combination of four pass rushers that can get to Matt Ryan with some consistency, or it's going to be uh, 11 to 14 on third down again. It's not going to be much of a ball game. So uh, talking about Matt Ryan, uh, was looking at his stats today. Um, you know, Matt Ryan has had. Uh, I was looking at his career against the box, um, and we posted it this morning. Literally, the four best games of Matt Ryan's career, and that's out of 155 games. His top four highest-rated games, all against the Bucks, uh, and it doesn't include the one three weeks ago. He didn't have that great a game, but his top four games combined: 12 touchdowns, no interceptions, all, all over 130 as a quarterback rating. Um, I thought it was interesting that Matt Ryan has a big discrepancy. I mean, I think you expect most players to do better at home versus on the road. But Matt Ryan's very different against the Bucs, whether he plays in Atlanta or whether he plays in Tampa. Um, In nine games in Tampa, has 14 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Uh, Not a good ratio. Speaks to difficult games on the road. I think he's four and five all-time in those games. Uh, At home, however, 10 home games. He's 7-3. has 15 touchdowns against three picks. Two of those picks came uh, in his rookie year in 08. So since then, 15 touchdowns and one interception at home against the Bucs. So the good thing for the Bucs is that they're facing Matt Ryan and the Falcons here in Tampa, where they're a little bit more mortal. Um, the number to look for, we had mentioned this, I think, earlier in the week of the podcast, but two numbers to, to shoot for here. Um, some teams have a line of demarcation where if you can hold them under a number, they lose. And if you hold them above that number, they win. Um, and for the Bucks, that number, or for the Falcons, I should say, that number is 20 points. If they score 20 or more, they're undefeated this season. Um, they're 9-0. and And if you hold them to under 20, um, they're 0-5. So that's the line right there. Bucks don't have a line like that. They've scored 20 or more five times in losses this year. So if you're going to beat the Falcons, it has to be a low-scoring defensive game this year. Uh, obviously, there are exceptions to rules. This could be 38-35 tonight. But based on what they've done all year, uh, if you want to beat them, you got to keep them low scoring. 17 or less is the rule. Um, 20 or more, they're undefeated. The other number, and again, it seems scary that you'd say this, but the more you see Matt Ryan pass, the more you are likely to win. This is true for, we talk about this a lot, most NFL quarterbacks. It's not... A causal relationship. It's just if you've thrown the ball a lot, it generally means you were behind and had to throw to catch up. So Matt Ryan, in his career against the box, if you can get Matt Ryan to throw it 36 times or more, he's 0-5 against the box. And 
if you can get him to throw it 35 times or less, he's 12 and 2, which speaks to weren't behind, didn't need to throw it much, owned the game, line of scrimmage, all that kind of thing. So again, that's the number to get there. Make Matt Ryan throw it a lot. That means you had turnovers. It means you got ahead. Um, the other stat we threw out on Matt Ryan is that he's good on Monday night. Um, not necessarily from a winning standpoint. I think he's four and six all time on Monday night. But his last seven games on Monday Night Football, he's had at least two touchdown passes, uh, which is outstanding. Um, and then, you know, you, you look at what he's done recently, and, and obviously, uh, it's unfair to compare Matt Ryan to last year. He was an MVP last year, had a phenomenal year last year. Thirty-eight touchdowns uh, against seven interceptions. It, it had a ridiculous. His quarterback rating was one seventeen. If you get that in a game, it's good. So to do it over an entire season, you're executing at a crazy level. Um, and he's kind of come back down to earth this year. I don't know if it's because Sark is there uh, and the offense has changed with a new coordinator, but he's kind of back to normal. So his numbers for the year are 17 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, which isn't anything great, but it's still a 92 quarterback rating. It's nothing to scoff at. I mean, his touchdowns okay, are on pace to be his uh, lowest since his rookie year. His yards are on pace to be his lowest since 2010. So they haven't executed at nearly the same level, but they have the motivation of being 8-5 and five and controlling their destiny. Carolina and New Orleans both won yesterday, but Atlanta controls their destiny. If they win out, they win the division um, because they're going up against those teams and they can play catch-up just by beating those teams. Um, the thing to, to kind of keep an eye on here is takeaways. If there's a a vulnerability. If we're if we're making Star Wars metaphors this weekend, uh, it, this is like the little exhaust port in the Death Star, where it seems completely impenetrable. Oh, except this one thing. Uh, if you can get that, you can blow the whole thing up. Atlanta is unusually bad at turnover margin for a team that's got a winning record in playoff contention. Almost all the other teams that are in their area from a turnover margin have losing records. The only exception, I think, Tennessee. It's eight and five, and they have a similarly bad. Atlanta's like a minus five in turnover margin, and it's really hard to be three games above 500 with a minus five turnover margin. Bucks are the opposite. Bucks are good in turnover margin. I forget they're plus two, plus four, something like that. And obviously, they're four and nine as a record. Every other team worse than them has a losing record when it comes to turnover margin. So if there's a, a single game vulnerability, something to exploit, is that the Falcons are bad at what the Bucks are best at, and that's takeaways. So if they can get Matt Ryan, I was looking, Matt Ryan, uh, the two times this year he's thrown three picks in a game, the Falcons have won them both. So even when you get Matt Ryan into turnover issues, um, and he's a guy with 11 interceptions, so that's possible, it's still hard to beat the Falcons. They're still good enough to overcome that as a team. Um, was looking at Monday Night Football experience, uh, Falcons have been on Monday Night Football twice as much in their history as the Bucks have. Um, Bucks have only been on Monday Night Football 20 times, which works out to basically once every two years. Uh, but surprisingly, they have a winning record. They're 11 and nine on Monday Night Football. Falcons are 13 and 27, so almost the same amount of wins and three times as many losses for the Falcons. Again, I don't know that these Falcons are going to get uh, impacted by how uh, Steve Bartkowski did. 40 years ago on Monday Night Football, but I thought it was interesting that you wouldn't expect that. You wouldn't expect the Bucks to have the better history of stepping up in these high-profile games like Monday Night Football. Injuries on the Atlanta side, I want to mention there's two of consequence. 
Uh, Tevin Coleman is out. He had a good game against the Bucks. The first game largely because Devontae Freeman was out with injury. Now they've switched sides. Now Devontae's healthy. Now Tevin Coleman has the concussion. Uh, Devontae Freeman has not played that well against the Bucs. Has never scored a touchdown against the Bucs in his career. Has never rushed for 100 yards in his career. Uh, you guys will cite me for jinxing the Bucs in naming both those things. But they've handled Devontae relatively well. He's like 3.4 yards a carry all-time against the Bucs. Only about 6 yards a catch against Tampa Bay. So that running game is probably what I'm most interested to see how they handle without Gerald McCoy. Um, Julio's going to get some of his. If I'm guessing, it's it's between 100 and 150 yards. It's probably a touchdown. Less than that, I'm impressed. More than that, they've, they've really done a bad job of adjusting to who they were three weeks ago. I want to talk a little about Ring of Honor. We've written a ton in the paper about John Gruden uh, and John Gruden potentially coming back and coaching in the NFL this coming season. Uh, John Gruden versus Tony Dungy, who deserves more credit for the Super Bowl. Uh, a lot of back and forth on that this week. The two things I, want, I thought was interesting is, is trying to figure out two things. Uh, one, who you think will go in the Ring of Honor next. And there's a couple, it's probably six names I'll mention here, and there's probably two that are front and center. Uh, if we were running for president here, they'd be the two you expect to go down to the, to the wire at convention. The rest are kind of there at the debate, but maybe not having a chance to do much more than that. The two names I would start with for Ring of Honor and who might go next year are Rondé Barber and Tony Dungy. Uh, some people thought Dungy should have gone in before John Gruden. Gruden goes in tonight, obviously. Uh, Rondé Barber, kind of the best last of the Super Bowl generation of Bucks players. Uh, John Lynch went in. Warren Sapp's gone in. Derek Brooks has gone in. Uh, so he'd be next. And, and Rondé probably makes the most sense. It, it kind of helps Rondé's Hall of Fame efforts if he's got a ring of honor as another uh, resume line for him. Tony Dungy makes a lot of sense. They might not want to put two coaches in back-to-back. -back. Uh, the third name I put up, did a Twitter poll this morning. The next name I put up was Warwick Dunn, uh, who actually just went into Atlanta's, uh, I forget if they have a ring of fame or a ring of honor, what they call theirs, but they're their counterpart to the Bucks Ring of Honor. They just put Warwick in, I think, last week. Um, and Warwick spent more time in, in Tampa than he did in Atlanta, so you can make a case for him being there. John Lynch had that same thing where he went to two different teams, Ring of Honors, uh, after splitting his career between the Bucks and the Broncos. So Warwick Dunn's who to go to next. If they wanted to go with a pre-Super Bowl era, because you want to kind of represent all your timeline in 42 years of football, uh, if you want to go before the Dungy era and before that Super Bowl build-up era, I think James Wilder's probably the best next one on the list. Um, doesn't necessarily have a ton of Pro Bowls, but was here and was a big part of those early 80s teams. Had some great seasons. Is still well-liked by Bucks fans. If they wanted to make a nod and go back to those early days, uh, you got Jimmy Giles from that era, obviously Leroy Selman, Doug Williams from the pre-90 Bucks. He'd be the next guy I'd think of there. And I'm sure he'll be in the next, I don't know, five that get in. Because um, you want to keep mixing it up. You don't want it to all be modern era or Super Bowl era. And the other two I'd point to right now, and I'm not sure who's more compelling, are Simeon Rice and Hardy Nickerson. Um, Simeon Rice is also trying to get himself in the Hall of Fame. I don't know that he's going to make it past the initial round of 25 that he's at right now. But Sim was a big part of that Super Bowl team. Makes a lot of sense he'd be a guy they'd consider still well-liked 
And then the other I want to mention is Hardy Nickerson, a um, guy that went to a ton of Pro Bowls, like five Pro Bowls, was a big part of the buildup to the Super Bowl, wasn't still around for that Super Bowl team. But when you think about those early Dungy teams that got the ball rolling toward the Super Bowl, Hardy Nickerson was right there front and center with Derek Brooks as, as the center and the lead and the middle of that defense. So curious to see what happens there. Those are six names, and you know you don't know how many of those six will get in the Hall of Fame, or the Ring of Fame, I should say, in the next four or five years. But there's a little bit of a window before you get too many current guys uh, before the McCoy types start coming in from your current bucks. And the other question we had, we asked, we did a roundtable for the Times this year, is who, besides Gerald, of the current bucks is most likely to someday be in the Bucks Ring of Honor? And this was a tricky question for me because we, we don't want to presume that these guys sign another contract with the Bucks because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know that anybody's beyond their current contract right now. The three names that I think most people will point to on this current team for, sorry, my dog is just randomly playing with toys in the background. The three names I would point to on this current team as most likely to be Ring of Honor someday are Levante David, Jameis Winston, and Mike Evans. Um, Again, Levante has never been to a Pro Bowl. Mike Evans and Jameis Winston, only one each. So they're just beginning to build resumes for the Ring of Honor. But it's just the momentum they have, the trajectory they're on, makes it seem like they might be worthy of that someday. Again, even if Mike Evans doesn't sign a second contract here, if he just goes five years and then signs somewhere else, he's probably going to leave with most of the Bucks receiving records. Uh, not a whole lot of sustained success as receivers in this team. So Mike Evans could very well leave with the touchdown record, with the yards record, with the catch record, just by playing two more seasons, let alone if they re-up with him, as most of us think they will, and pay him to spend another four or five years here in Tampa Bay. Same with Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston has had a great three years to start his career, and I think it's reasonable to think he's going to have two more years as a starter, but we don't know beyond that. Um, you know, It's hard to know what's going to happen beyond the rookie contract for those guys. So for that reason right now, I feel like Levante has – more of an existing body of work. Um, he's been here now six seasons. Again, hasn't been to a Pro Bowl, but has been an All-Pro. Has led them in tackles, I think, four of his six years already. Uh, I think this would be the fifth this year. Had the one year with Quan last year where he didn't. Uh, but this year is a year where, again, he's probably not going to be a Pro Bowler, but he's forced five fumbles. He's recovered five fumbles. He made so many splash plays where you have to think of him as somebody who's just been a fan favorite and well-liked for a long enough time that if he keeps it going for another three or four years, he'll be a guy that's in the ring of honor as well. Looking forward to the ceremony tonight. It might be awkward if the Bucks are trailing to see what this crowd is like in embracing John Gruden for who he was and not who he might be. Uh, and that Dirk Cutter's obviously not sitting pretty right now, needs something to kind of help solidify himself as coming back for next year. Uh, tonight would be an amazing opportunity for him to do that. But it's going to be tough against Matt Ryan and his team that, that's trying to make a playoff push and has a lot of motivation uh, beyond what the Bucks have, just trying to save face and get some positive momentum for next year. So interested in doing that. Uh, we'll come back early tomorrow with a quick turnaround for a wrap-up podcast on Tuesday. But for now, that will do it for, uh, for this Monday podcast, looking ahead to tonight's game with the Falcons. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the Ring of Honor at halftime. And we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks again for listening, folks. For the Tampa Bay Times, tampabay.com, this is Greg Allman. Thanks again for listening to the Cannon Fodder Podcast.